Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday, January 11th, 2023. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Uh, Jill, all the talk on the Instagram feed yesterday has been about egg prices not being so excellent. You did it, didn't you? You I couldn't did. help I, yourself I but there. do an There's egg so pun. so many egg puns, <laughs> Jill. Um, but we're going to have more on that. I mean, people have been asking questions. It has to do with the avian flu. We'll talk about that. Uh, in today's pod. Also, the big headline about the potential ban down the road on gas stoves. A lot of consumer headlines in the news today. Right. I am very egg-sighted, so let's do it. (laughs) She also went there, man. (laughs) All right. Here are the headlines. What President Biden has to say about the classified documents found at one of his offices from his time as vice president. Diplomacy with a side of snark. The Three Amigos Summit gets off to a bit of a rocky start. Why the U.S. government may ban gas stoves and what you should do if you're one of the millions of people who have one. A key Trump deputy sentenced to Rikers Island. From eggs to smartphones, 10 items that have had the biggest price swings over the past 12 months. In and out Burger finally making its way east. Yeah. <laughs> cheers. You heard the cheers. <laughs> Some details on the iconic California burger chain's big move. And Mosh, of course, as this day in history. A big day for baseball and Justin Timberlake. Okay, Mosh, let's start with politics. Another day, another classified documents scandal. Okay, maybe it's not a scandal, but a lot of drama. This time, though, it is President Biden in the hot seat. So here's what we know so far. President Biden's lawyers discovered a small number of classified documents in his former office at a Washington think tank last fall. This is according to the White House. Among the items are 10 classified documents, including U.S. intelligence memos and briefing materials that cover topics including Ukraine, Iran and the United Kingdom, sources tell The New York Times. On Tuesday night, Biden said that he was surprised to learn about the documents and doesn't know what information they contain. He also said he takes classified documents seriously. His personal lawyers found the documents when they were packing up files at the Penn-Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement. Those documents were dated between 2013 and 2016 from when Biden was vice president. They were found in a locked closet at an office he used after his time as VP from 2017 to 2019 before he ran for president. The Justice Department's now trying to figure out how to move forward. The attorney general, Merrick Garland, assigned a U.S. attorney, one appointed by Trump, to look into the matter. It is possible that Garland will appoint a special counsel, kind of like the one investigating former President Trump, who was found with more than 100 classified documents, some bearing the highest designations of government secrecy at his resort at Mar-a-Lago. Mosh, there are already a ton of comparisons of Biden's classified documents issued to Trump's, but there are a lot of differences. Yes, and for those keeping score at home now, Jill, Hillary Clinton had classified documents on her server, Donald Trump took home several hundred documents, and now it appears that Biden, after he was VP, after he left in 2017, looks like he took home about 10 classified documents. Trump wrote on his Truth Social social media account, quote, when is the FBI going to raid the many homes of Joe Biden, perhaps even the White House? These documents were definitely not declassified. So clearly the former president taking joy in all of this. But let's go through some of the differences First, the number of documents. We're talking about 10 documents for Biden versus more than 300 uh, classified documents found by Trump. So far, as we've learned, Biden's team has been cooperating 
fully with officials. In fact, they found the documents in a locked closet. They voluntarily handed them over uh, to the archives. The archives got them one day after all of them were found. Uh, that's versus Trump, where the archives were begging him for 18 months to hand over classified documents, sent over multiple letters, uh, escalated to the Justice Department, threats, visits, nada. That's what led to the search warrant. So there's a whole cooperation factor here. And keep in mind, because of the lack of cooperation from Trump over 18 months, that is what has led to additional allegations when it comes to destruction of property as well as obstruction of justice. It's also not clear the level of classification in the two. So just want to lay out the differences there as we um, learn more about this new Biden situation. More in Biden's comments Tuesday night, he said his attorneys did what they should have done. They immediately called the National Archives and handed over the documents. He was briefed about the discovery. He was surprised, he says, to learn that there were any there. He doesn't know what's in the documents, and his lawyers told him, don't ask. Uh, it's better that way. So the White House has said in a statement that the White House counsel's office is now aware of this. Uh, there are no indications, again, that Biden or his team resisted any efforts to recover any of the sensitive documents. The vast majority of the boxes in the office contained personal Biden family documents, condolence letters, uh, funeral arrangements for his uh, son who passed away several years ago, Bo. That said, still not a great look given uh, what's going on. And, and that is probably one of the reasons why Merrick Garland, the attorney general, has taken it up a notch and made sure it's a Trump-appointed U.S. attorney looking into this to ensure that there are no allegations that they're giving him any friendly treatment. Also, a lot of critics pointing out that this all happened back in November before the midterm elections, but it's uh, just now being made public. Uh, you have also got to assume that these documents are classified for a reason. So what is the deal here? Like, Why are any of these classified documents making their way to compromised locations? And I mean that for both Biden and Trump, and just in general, you you would think that presidents, vice presidents would really take this stuff seriously. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it does speak to, Jill, one of the things that came out of the summer was the overclassification of the government, that so much is classified, some for good reason, some include nuclear secrets or really private information we have on foreign governments. But so, there's a tendency in the government to overclassify things. I mean, we've talked on the podcast, Jill, also about how the fact that there's Kennedy assassination documents still classified. There's documents about J. Edgar Hoover, the former FBI director, and his investigations into First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt from the 1930s that are still classified. So the government uh, overclassifies, and it appears, <laughs> Jill, at least that maybe you need new movers, uh, moving vice presidents and presidents out of the White House if somehow classified documents are making it out there. So that is that is one element of this. The other thing that will really come to a head here, Jill, is intent. Did Biden have the intent to take those documents with him, and for what reason? Did Trump have the intent to take the documents with him and keep them. And for what reason? Remember when the FBI finished this investigation into Hillary in 2016 and James Comey went out there and didn't decide the prosecutor, he said there was no sign she had malicious intent when it comes to those classified documents she had on her server. The big question with Trump here and his classified documents is did he have malicious intent? Uh, again, I mentioned you know they're investigating him for obstruction of justice, for destruction of documents, for keeping some of those documents from the government. In this case, at least what we know, 48 hours into this, Biden uh, had 10 documents in a closet. He hasn't been in that office since 2019. So intentionality, at least on the surface right now, does not appear to be there. But again, we're very early into this whole thing, Jill, and there clearly needs to be a reset 
in terms of how classified documents are handled, it appears. And this is all happening as President Biden is in Mexico for the North American Leaders Summit, also referred to as the Three Amigos Summit. He's meeting with the heads of Mexico and Canada. And one of the big issues that they're going to be talking about is how the three countries can reduce their reliance on China Things got off to a slightly rocky start. So Biden and Mexico's president, Andre Manuel Lopez Obrador, were making some brief opening remarks that were meant to just be pleasantries. But it got a bit contentious when Mexico's president told Biden that the United States had done little to support development in Latin America since the 1960s with JFK's Alliance for Progress. He called it a disdain and forgetfulness for Latin America and the Caribbean. Biden took issue with that description and and strayed from his prepared remarks, saying that the U.S. has spent tens of billions of dollars in the hemisphere over the past 15 years. He said the U.S. provides more foreign aid than every other country, just about combined in the world to not just the hemisphere, but around the world. And it may all seem unimportant, but these summits, Moshe, are so scripted and every minute is planned. So anything that diverges from the agenda can tell us a bit about what's really going on. It's like a hot mic moment where, uh, you know, tell us what you really think. Yeah, I mean, Obrador has some issues with U.S. policy uh, going back to the Trump administration. They're still uh, peeved that uh, at the end of Trump's, this was in October of 2020, that U.S. agents arrested the former Mexican defense secretary, accusing him of working with one of the drug cartels. So there's some coordination stuff. There's still some bad blood there. And clearly, uh, there's some finger pointing going back and forth when it comes to border issues, migrant issues. Uh, The U.S. asking Mexico to do its part because they're allowing basically all these Central American migrants to flow through the country to the U.S. border. Energy is also really big. Some people might not know this, but our two top sources of oil in the U.S. are Canada and Mexico, one in two. Uh, So Mexico hasn't been loving all this talk about green energy and climate change. They really want to support their oil industry in Mexico. Up north, Trudeau, the Canadian prime minister, has been warning against the increasing talk of Buy America policies. Nearly 80% of Canada's exports go to the U.S., so he's been really concerned about the U.S. essentially closing its economy off. Uh, So you have drug trafficking, migration, climate change, economic cooperation, uh, a lot there uh, when it comes to these three leaders. Switching gears, a federal agency is reportedly considering a ban on gas stoves because they can cause indoor pollution linked to asthma and other respiratory conditions. About 40 million homes in the U.S. have gas stoves or one in three U.S. households. In an interview with Bloomberg, a U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commissioner said any option is on the table. Products that can't be made safe can be banned. A study from December had found that indoor gas stove usage is associated with an increased risk of asthma among children and that almost 13% of current childhood asthma in the U.S. is attributable to gas stove use. Pretty scary. According to the Washington Post, gas stoves are burning natural gas, a mix of methane and other chemicals. So that means that when a gas stove is on, it releases not only fine pieces of particular matter that can invade the lungs, but also nitrogen dioxide, carbon monoxide, and formaldehyde, all of which have been linked to various health risks. Apparently, everything is bad for you, Jill. It's a it's a theme of the news and <laughs> this podcast sometimes. It is actually what I thought. I, I first saw this story on your Instagram page, and it's yeah. actually the first thing that came to my mind was just like, is there anything literally besides, <laughs> you know, lemon juice, or like washing right. with lemons or whatever that is not going to be harmful? 
Though I'll make you feel better. There are some questions about that study, the uh, asthma study, by the way, that they extrapolated out that data. They didn't directly study children. Um, so there are some questions that like, if they're going to make a move as drastic as banning stoves, do they need some better data to go with? But yes, you know, in terms of kind of larger studies uh, where they're taking into account other matters, not in a closed environment, there are links to cancer, respiratory issues, especially with older stoves. Incidentally, uh, an interesting thing here, the EPA has power over outside air, but does not have any power jurisdiction over indoor air. But one thing that could come out of this entire process is that they could give the, e the EPA could start making assessments of indoor air, and their recommendations would then change building codes. Uh, uh, keep in mind, though you've seen this headline in the past 24 hours, any regulatory action, like most things government, would involve a very lengthy process public comments, nothing this year. It could, in fact, take several years before something like this could happen. You are seeing some stuff on the local level. Nearly 100 cities across the U.S. have already banned natural gas hookups in all new buildings, uh, Berkeley, San Francisco, New York City. At the same time, uh, as of last year, 20 states with Republican-controlled legislatures have passed so-called preemption laws that prohibit, this is basically a preemption law that prohibits a city from banning natural gas. So you have that, uh, Alabama, Arizona, Iowa, Florida, Ohio, Texas, Virginia, you are among the states that have already banned a ban on natural gas. So you, if you have a gas stove there, that ain't going anywhere anytime soon. In the meantime, you know, I mentioned the EPA could get higher standards out of this. You could also see warning labels on stoves. You could see range hood requirements, performance standards. Uh, one big thing that people mentioned, you know, if you have a range hood that actually uh, sends the air outside of your home, that is important and helpful. Also keep in mind that as part of the Inflation Reduction Act last year, there are incentives to convert from gas stove to electric stove in the form of $840 uh, rebates. So you could look into whether you're eligible for that. Though I did hear from a lot of people, Jill, who are concerned when power outages happen, uh, what they might do if they have an electric stove. In the meantime, if you do have a gas stove, here are the among the tips. Ventilate your kitchen when cooking. Open your windows while you cook. Use exhaust fans, and in particular, exhaust fans that move the air to outdoors. Some people said they have like fake range hoods. Air purifiers. Electric kettle instead of boiling water on the range. Uh, we use one of those in our house. Uh, and you can cook with an electric slow cooker or pressure cooker or rice cooker or toaster oven, a microwave. But I feel like a microwave, I've seen data that microwaves aren't good for you either, right, Jill? Nothing's good for you. <laughs> but, haven't we established that <laughs> yeah exactly it's it's all a matter of deciding what might hurt your health in combination and limiting it to a certain extent but i know this has gotten a lot of attention folks keep in mind again there are questions about that asthma study and that this process will likely take a very long time and it'll ultimately depend on where you live uh, in the year 2030 as to what the rule might be so i have a gas stove in my house and i was reading this news i was downstairs working out actually. And my husband was upstairs Good for with you. the baby. New Year's resolution. Yes. Yeah. Uh, my husband was upstairs with the baby and we cook his food on the gas stove. He's now on some solids. Yeah. So I literally texted my husband. I'm like, remove the baby from the kitchen, open the window, <laughs> put the fan on. And he's like, what is the code red? What is going on? I'm like, just do it. And then I came up and I told him about it. But you could go crazy with every single study that comes out. That's the thing. Context is important. The study is important. I'm about to do a deep dive into that study because, again, there's sometimes a headline that's extrapolated out, but how do they get that data? And again, I'm not diminishing the study in any way, shape, or form, but I'm just saying that before you know a major action is taken, you know we got to see what's happening here. There's also major lobbying interests here, right? There are certain industries that will benefit 
from us all going electric. There are certain industries like the gas industry and energy industries that will not. And so they're lobbying against this. So uh, keep in mind, there will be a lot of people lined up here on both sides. And we'll see what this all goes down. I did hear from a lot of people in Europe, Joe, where they have in many countries already eliminated uh, gas stoves. In fact, there's not even gas lines to homes in a lot of the Nordic countries and Denmark, Sweden, etc. And so they're like, what are you guys in America still doing with gas stoves? We're all electric and induction here in Europe. All right, Jill, we have a lot more news to get to in this podcast. But first, I want to thank a couple of our sponsors this week. I want to start first with our friends at Bull and Branch Bedding and Sheets. They have a new deal for Mo News listeners. You may be listening to this podcast in bed. I hope you all got a good night's sleep. But let's talk about what can help you ensure you get a good night's sleep. Great sheets. My wife and I actually got our first set of Bull and Branch sheets in the fall, and they're keeping us warm during these winter months, made with the softest 100% organic cotton, no toxins. They actually get softer with every wash. We're actually about to get a second set, and they come in a whole bunch of sizes, 10 different colors. What's great is Bull & Branch right now is extending their special deal for Mo News listeners. You can get 15% off your first set of sheets using the promo code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S, over at bullandbranch.com. That's bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. 15% off your first set of sheets, also free shipping and returns with the promo code MONEWS, M-O-N-E-W-S. Before we get to the speed read, there is another great deal I want to tell Mo News listeners about. This one comes to us from Athletic Greens. Their AG1 all-in-one vitamin is a must as we try to get through this cold and flu season. I've been using the AG1 powder for a couple months now. It's one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. Easy, simple, and affordable, getting that extra boost of energy. Athletic Greens was actually created when the founder experienced a ton of gut health issues ended up on a complicated supplement routine to recover. It actually cost them 100 bucks a day. And as they say, necessity is the mother of invention. So the AG1 powder contains 75 important ingredients, tons of vitamins, also has pre and probiotics for your gut health. And here's the best news. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of vitamin D plus five free travel packs. Visit athleticgreens.com slash monews take advantage of this offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription or try it one time for just a month. Again, athleticgreens.com slash monews for this special deal. From CBS News, a nursing strike that has disrupted patient care at two of New York City's largest hospitals entered its second day Tuesday with a union official saying progress was being made toward a possible settlement at one of its institutions. The two hospitals, Montefiore Medical Center and Mount Sinai Hospital, were postponing non-emergency surgeries, diverting ambulances to other medical centers, pulling in temporary staffers, and assigning administrators with nursing backgrounds to work in wards in order to cope with the walkout of more than 7,100 nurses. The New York State Nurses Association, which represents the workers, said it had been forced into the drastic step because of severe understaffing that leaves nurses caring for too many patients we are tired now, overwhelmed. Nurses are burned out. It is just getting worse. That is the quote from an emergency room nurse at the hospital. Yeah, and some of those nurses, by the way, have been reaching out to me saying, listen, these hospitals knew in advance the strike might happen. So any complaints about you know diverting uh, patients, uh, not being prepared, they had more than enough time to uh, prepare with potential replacements. At the same time, so you have Montefiore and Mount Sinai, uh, just over 7,000 nurses. This is actually set to have tens of thousands of nurses, uh, but most of them were able to strike deals with their hospitals. They all got raises uh, over the next uh, few years. But the nurses on the picket lines, who are still on the picket lines, stress that staffing levels 
are a bigger issue than pay. New York City's nurses were hailed as heroes. We all remember this, ringing the bells, uh, cheering them every night during those early days of COVID in 2020. Now they say they're being burnt out by poor staffing levels. They've been a problem for years. Uh, Montefiore said it has agreed to add 170 more nurses as part of this negotiation. Mount Sinai's administration said that the union's focus on nurse-to-patient ratios quote, ignores the progress we have made to attract and hire more new nurses despite a global shortage. So uh, it seems like they're gradually getting closer, that there's some more issues there. But this is certainly something that experienced at a family member in the hospital uh, in a different state in the fall, Jill. And a nurse was telling me that, you know, there was a time recently in the last few years when they might only have to worry about three or four patients on their shift. And now that has tripled. Uh, so that has, you know, that has really burnt out a lot of them. And and uh, depending on how this ends, you you likely may see this happen in uh, a locality or a hospital near you. Look, I was just in the hospital when I had my baby. I had a C-section. I was in there for three or four days. And the nurses are everything. I mean, yeah. they take care of you. They they're the people that you see when if you need something. Right. <laughs> the doctors pop in for like the doctors pop in at like five forty-five in the morning for like a minute. You're like groggy. They're like, we're gonna do this, and then the nurses are like they tell the nurse a bunch of stuff, and then the nurse takes care of you all day. Though, Jill, I don't want that to come across negative towards doctors. We love our doctors too, but we're trying to show our love for nurses as well. Of course, of course. No, yeah. it, you need everybody, right? It's yeah. it's it's everybody working together. But nurses really are the workhorses of the hospital. Jill, our next speed read comes to us from Politico, and uh, I put this in here because this is an update on your congressman. Oh, God. Okay, yes. This is the association <laughs> nobody wants. Yes. There are 435 districts in America. Jill happens to live in the district of one George Santos, and this is how Politico puts it. House Republicans know George Santos is a problem. They're just not sure what to do about him yet, Politico writes. The New York Republican landed on the Hill for his first term last week with a reputation marred by multiple public falsehoods about his past, behavior that conflicts with his party's vocal campaign pledges to step up accountability and transparency. The GOP conference is now deliberating over how to handle a member who's been publicly ridiculed as a fraudster, including whether Santos should receive any committee assignments. Committees are the core of everything on Capitol Hill. If you don't have committee assignments, you're basically not doing anything. Some members are openly pushing him to the sideline until internal investigations can dig through his campaign finances and even some basic biographical information that they still don't know. Reminder, he has faced a cloud of questions after numerous reports revealed he falsified pretty much his entire biography during his campaign, including basics like where he went to college, his previous work experience, and his religion. He has uh, confessed to many of the reported fabrications. He admitted he is not Jewish, Moshe. He described himself as Jew-ish, whatever yes, that Jew -ish, means. Jew-ish, whatever that <laughs> means. Yeah. More troubling for the GOP, Santos has also been accused of campaign finance misdeeds. A nonpartisan group, the Campaign Legal Center, recently filed a complaint with the Federal Election Commission alleging that Santos had run a straw donor campaign that helped him evade campaign finance limits. So this is something to watch in the coming weeks with a lot of the Republicans being like, we don't want to be associated with this guy. You even saw him on the floor last week during the speaker's vote, like looking for basic friends and like Marjorie Taylor Greene gave him the time of day <laughs> and like that got him excited. Wait, so at one point, I don't know if you caught this, at one point uh, they had called his name for the vote yeah. and he didn't pick his head up for the, the Bueller, person. Bueller, Bueller. 
Yeah. And that had people speculating. They're like, is Santos e- even his even your name? name? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the name I went with. <laughs> so, so anyway, so Speaker McCarthy, who has a lot of power here for weeks, has declined any questions. You know, one thing for him that was crucial, Santos was one of his votes that he needed. So he didn't do anything about Santos uh, before he became Speaker. The majority leader, Steve Scalise, who's the number two, the deputy of McCarthy, has acknowledged that there are, quote, some concerns, but disclosed that GOP leaders will tackle them internally. So that is what we know with the problem named George Santos. Okay, from NBC News, an update on the wild weather hitting California. Tens of thousands of Californians have been told to evacuate as heavy rains flood the state. Relentless downpours continue to batter the state, killing at least 17 people and raising fears of flash floods and mudslides. Forecasters are warning residents to prepare for lightning storms, powerful wind gusts, and possibly even tornadoes. The California Highway Patrol strongly advising residents to limit non-essential travel. Rains continuing to hammer much of California on Tuesday as a fresh, low-pressure system barreled toward the state as part of a parade of cyclones. Homes were flooded, streets transformed into rivers, and cars were swamped amid the deluge. Yeah, towns across the state have been hit hard. Jill, in particular, Santa Barbara has been particularly hard hit, prompting evacuations and road closures. Already, they're trying to put an estimate on the damage. We're not even through the storms yet. They know it will top a billion dollars. The city of San Francisco told residents on Tuesday to take shelter and do not travel for at least three hours during the day. High winds have also forced the closure of Interstate 80 in both directions near the California-Nevada border. And in Southern California, several routes in the Angeles National Forest have also been closed. From the AP, Alan Weisselberg, a longtime executive for Trump's business empire, whose testimony helped convict the former president's company of tax fraud, was sentenced Tuesday to five months in jail for dodging taxes. Weisselberg, who is 75 years old, was promised that sentence in August when he agreed to plead guilty to 15 tax crimes and to testify against the Trump Organization, where he worked since the mid-1980s and until his arrest. He'd served as chief financial officer, working directly with the former president. He's expected to be taken to New York City's notorious Rikers Island jail complex. He'll be eligible for release after a little bit more than three months if he behaves behind bars. So it may look like a short term, but Rikers Island is notorious, Jill. Uh, More than a dozen inmates die every year. So this will not be easy for a 75-year-old financial professional at a facility known for violence, drugs, corruption. 19 inmates just died there last year. So one of the questions people are asking is whether he will be segregated, separated from the rest of the inmates or just thrown in there. Because as you might presume, have uh, someone with an affiliation with Trump, that might not play well with some of the inmates in prison, uh, make him a target. Uh, Separate from the jail sentence, the judge has also ordered Weisselberg to pay nearly $2 million dollars in back taxes, penalties, and interest, which he paid last week. The judge has also ordered Weisselberg to complete five years of probation after his term is finished. Keep in mind here, Weisselberg testified that Trump signed bonus and tuition checks and other documents at the heart of the prosecution case, but was not in on the tax fraud scheme. Though at the same time, Trump was never charged and has denied any wrongdoing. So Weisselberg went up to a certain point pled, uh, gave a lot of uh, information on the organization. You know, Weisselberg goes back to when Trump's father uh, was running uh, the Trump business enterprise and it continued with Donald. But the investigation continues. The Manhattan District Attorney, Alvin Bragg, who attended the sentencing uh, this week, says he's still investigating uh, the former president's links to any of the illegality. 
I wonder if he would have pleaded guilty if he knew he was going to be sent to Rikers. It's an interesting move by the judge here because you look at, again, the sentence given all the tax fraud, et cetera, just a few months. But, you know, I wouldn't want to spend a day in Rikers Island. Okay, from the Washington Post, expensive eggs, cheap coats, 10 things with wild price swings in 2022. Inflation may finally be starting to cool as the Federal Reserve hoists interest rates, but lasting progress will depend on how broad swaths of the economy respond and whether soaring costs can be controlled on everything from butter to books. With that, here's a look at 10 things that significantly rose or fell in price from November of 2021 to November of 2022 and what they might tell us about what's to come in 2023. Okay, school food up 254%. That's in part because federal programs that paid for school food during the pandemic have ended. So expensive tater tots. At least, do they still serve tater tots? I feel like when I was going to school, they served tater tots, Joe. I feel like it's the same. I feel like it's sloppy Joe tater tots. I I can't (laughs) imagine. I don't think school lunches have changed much. In my day. Although Michelle Obama, that was her thing, right? Didn't she try to make it healthy? Yeah. Uh, Fuel oil up 65.7%, and we could partly thank the war in Ukraine for that. Eggs are up 49.1%. Grocery costs in general rose because of supply chain issues and transportation issues. But eggs faced additional problems from a severe outbreak of bird flu in the United States. Moshe, this one really hits hard. Yeah, the egg thing is a huge deal for people. I mean, it's a staple, right? You know, you go to the store, you always want to have eggs in your refrigerator. And by the way, the fact that egg prices are up 50%, some people are like 50%, try 200%. In some cases, prices have doubled. In some places, Californians are paying more than $7 a dozen. California is a state that um, demands that uh, birds are cage-free. So that also increases the price there. There's been this huge avian flu outbreak, one that we haven't seen in almost a decade. So that they've had to go and kill tens of millions of chickens Some people are seeing empty shelves across the country. I'm getting pictures from Nevada. I'm getting pictures from Texas, from Florida, etc. Some people who have their own chickens are saying that they're trying to sell them to neighbors now. uh, And they feel very lucky. The chickens or the eggs? The eggs. eggs, eggs. eggs. I mean, I guess for a certain price, they might sell you a chicken. But in the meantime, at least one woman was telling me in a sort of rural area of Florida that, you know, they used to kind of feed the extra egg stuff to the dogs. And now they're like, oh, we got to sell it to our neighbors. Like they're having a tough time finding eggs. So I was looking into this. Uh, apparently, it'll take a bit before they were able to raise enough healthy chickens to get to egg-bearing age, which, by the way, Jill, is four to five months until a chicken can lay eggs, as I learned uh, as part of my research for this podcast. Um, Jill, one small anecdote about me. We raised chickens in our backyard outside Chicago for a few years. This was a big thing for my father until it became a little unwieldy. But it's fun and interesting, and you get eggs. Who are you, Moshwanunu? That's very interesting. It's <laughs> You guys were so ahead of your time. Yes. I, 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 my father was always, he was, uh, you know, he was into various things. At some point, he was raising parakeets, and at some point, we were raising chickens. They all had names. Uh, we had, like, heat lamps in our garage. And Chicago, by the way, to keep chickens warm in the winter is difficult. And, uh, you know, they got old, and they started making some noise, uh, and eventually... Uh, you know, we, we found them a home on a farm. In fact, my father was like, oh, we're going to, you know, butcher some of these chickens. My mom was like, absolutely not. There are pets. They have names. They will live somewhere. <laughs> you cannot kill anything that has a name. No, exactly. Once you name it, that's it. It needs to go find a farm somewhere. Okay, back to our list. Margarine is up 47.4%. And that's in part because Russia's invasion of Ukraine has driven up the price for vegetable oils that are used to make margarine, which, of course, is a butter substitute. 
and airline fares uh, up 36%. I was actually surprised that they weren't up more than that. Again, because it's compared to the year before and we were still really, you know, in the middle of the pandemic at that point. Yeah, though I can tell you, you probably get a good deal on Southwest sometime soon if you trust them, um, if you're trying to avoid those airfares. I did see today actually that they were having, I think, $49, uh, $49 fares, big sale. Big, big sale in the Southwest Airlines. And so far, they're doing okay for like this last week, it appears. Uh, Jill, as part of your list, we also got a list of some things that are less expensive in the last year. Women's clothing, down 2%. Used cars and trucks, down 3%. Televisions, down 17%. Smartphones, down 23%. Uh, The electronics ones in particular are just because uh, demand dropped for electronics uh, going into 2022 after 2021. So uh, we've been talking about this on the podcast. You've been able to get a deal on some of those items. Okay, from NPR, In-N-Out Burger is double doubling down on growing its business, announcing it would open new locations in Tennessee. That is the farthest east that the company has ever gone. The California-based fast food chain where you can order your burger animal style off the company's not-so-secret menu. You ever done that, Jill? I have not, uh, but... I definitely want to. Um, They said Tuesday that they would open some new restaurants in Tennessee, as well as an Eastern Territory office in Franklin, just south of Nashville. You can expect it as soon as 2026, which seems far away. Um, The iconic burger joint that began in 1948 as a small stand in Baldwin Park, California, now boasts a total of 385 locations across the state, as well as in Nevada, Arizona, Utah, Texas, Oregon, and Colorado. It's a major move for the chain, Jill, a major move for In-N-Out, which has vowed for a very long time to only expand to states where they could offer a similar quality of burgers and fries that they've been offering in California. So ensuring that quality involves opening distribution centers, logistics facilities to support the chain's operation. So the big deal happened about 10 years ago when they expanded to Texas for the first time back in 2011. They only did that, In-N-Out only did that after they building a dedicated facility to produce beef patties there that would be fresh. The In-N-Out CEO, her name is Lindsay Snyder, she's actually the granddaughter of the founder, Harry Snyder, said just a couple years ago they would never expand east of Texas as long as she was alive. It looks like uh, just over four years later, uh, <laughs> they are doing that and they're going to head to Tennessee. I mean, Jill, oftentimes when I go out west, that is a key stop for me uh, in Nevada uh, and um, Oregon and California is stopping it in and out. Um, I'm I'm a big fan. Yeah, forget Biggie versus Tupac. I feel like the in and out versus Shake Shack debate was kind of the, the new East Coast, West Coast rivalry. Uh, so where do you land on that, Mosh? So I have to say, Jill, it, by the way, you know what's notable? I was in Istanbul, Turkey a few years ago. They have a Shake Shack there. There's a Shake Shack in Dubai. So Once I feel they like went Sha- public, I feel like Shake Shack just blew up. Shake Shack blew up. Shake Shack's everywhere. So I appreciate the whole like attention to quality of In-N-Out. Having tried both burgers, and by the way, I'll throw five guys in there because I know they have their advocates. I, I'm on team In-N-Out. Okay, so I've only had In-N-Out, I think twice, actually. I haven't been to California that much. And I'm with you. And maybe it was because I felt like it was this treat because I just cannot get it in New York. But I feel like In-N-Out's so good. You think you think we just lost our Shake Shack sponsorship? <laughs> Perhaps. I'm willing to reconsider, <laughs> Mosh. <laughs> Danny Meyer, if you're listening or anyone in Shake Shack management, uh, if you're interested, I can send you our address. And I'm willing, I'm, I'm open-minded right now. 
Jill, before we go, as always, we have On This Day in History. I'm going to begin in 1964, January 11th, 1964. Uh, what is that, 59 years ago today? The I don't US do math. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm right. Check me. Uh, by, by the way, I always get notes from people who are like, technically. Anyway, um, no, I think I'm good on that. 59 years ago, the U.S. Surgeon General released a landmark report, the landmark report, that for the first time announced that cigarette smoking was harmful to your health. I can only imagine what people must have thought, you know, upon learning about that, because that's how I feel every single day now when I find out something else that I do or I have in my house is bad for me. And this is a time when, you know, you smoked in your house, you smoked everywhere. The coolest people in Hollywood are smoking. You smoked on planes uh, and it took a while. uh, But that was just just under 60 years ago. The first announcement that smoking was bad for you. 50 years ago today, a big piece of baseball history. Uh, 24 Major League Baseball teams uh, voted to allow teams in the American League to use a designated hitter for the first time, the DH, which has now been around for 50 years, allows you to bat for the pitcher there, and the AL uh, leads to some higher scoring over there. Uh, A little bit of pop culture news. The Joy of Painting with Bob Ross, the iconic Bob Ross, premiered 40 years ago today on PBS. 24 years ago today, Jon Stewart uh, took on the hosting duties of The Daily Show, which he would do for more than a decade. Uh, He now has a show over on Apple, but that sort of became an iconic thing. It just took him a few years when he was going after CNN, and I think he got a CNN. He got crossfire and CNN canceled just a few years in, but he became an iconic part of our political discourse. And last but not least, America and the world said hello 23 years ago to NSYNC's song Bye Bye Bye, January 11th. 2000. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye. (laughs) (laughs) Jill, I got an email from somebody who was like, enough with the singing. I just, you know, uh, might have to put it to a vote. I get that. And I I wrestle with, should should I just bust out in song every single day to everything that you say? And it's funny, my husband said to me once, he's like, you realize you walk around the house singing all day, right? And I actually <laughs> didn't realize that. So I think that this is just a we very have such natural thing joy for me. In this world, everybody, we have such little joy. We have to report some negative stuff. So um, we're going to take our singing, but we'll we'll be precise with it. We won't overdo it. I promise. Um, and on that note, we want to thank you for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store. It helps us grow. Yes, really appreciate all those reviews. Apple, uh, Spotify, everywhere you listen to us. Uh, also, don't forget to follow us over on Instagram, the Mo News account, at Mosh, at M-O-S-H-E-H. Chime in on how you're feeling about the news. Uh, how are you doing with egg prices? Uh, anything about the show? Uh, I try to read as many DMs as I can get to these days. And with that, Jill, tomorrow is Thursday, uh, which puts us closer to the weekend than last weekend. So I'm excited. All right. Bye, everyone.